Well, if this is your first time joining us and the first time hearing us uh, go through the book of Ecclesiastes, let me just say welcome to the dark and disillusioned world of the book of Ecclesiastes. Oh, and by the way, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> well, this uh, isn't the most cheerful text, even though it starts out that way. It goes, uh, grows very grim quite quickly and uh, goes to a, uh, a fairly dark place. It's a very meaningful text. As, as we have experienced throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, um, what seems to be very cynical, uh, what seems to be very disillusioned, often uh, if we scratch beneath that surface a little bit, dig a little bit deeper, there's tremendous value and tremendous meaning in these passages as we've looked at them together. I think today is no different. This passage is one of the reasons why I was determined to preach through the book of Ecclesiastes. Its message stuck with me for weeks and weeks, and I would just hear it in my head and think about the implications of this for my life. And I'll, I'll explain more uh, what I mean about that as we go along. But let's look at this passage together. I mainly have it broken down into three parts, and then there's some subparts, uh, and then we're going to look at uh, a corresponding New Testament text together as well. But first, I want to look at verses seven and eight. The first, the first point, if you're following along on the handout or if you're taking notes, uh, the, and the first commandment here is to rejoice in all the days of life. Rejoice in all the days of life, not just the good ones, uh, but in all of the days of life. We see this in verses seven and eight. It says, light is sweet and it is pleasing for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if someone lives many years, let him rejoice in them all and let him remember the days of darkness since they will be many. All that comes is futile. Light is sweet, it's pleasing for the eyes to see the sun. I think that's a metaphor for being alive. It's, it's good to be alive because I, I draw that conclusion because it says, indeed, if someone lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. It's, it's the first thing I just want to remind us of is it's good to be alive. That might be particularly important to be reminded of as we look at the rest of this passage, but let's start there. It's good to live long. It's good to have a long life on this earth. Life on earth is a good thing. It's not punishment. Even though it has its challenges, uh, we ought to be thankful for every day that we live on the earth. Uh, verses seven and eight remind us of this and, and call us to rejoice. But this rejoicing is not meant for only the good days, but also, as it says in verse eight, for the days of darkness, for they will be many. It concludes uh, by saying all that comes is futile. That's the, the Hebrew word that's translated futile here is that word hevel that we talked about early in this series. The word hevel is the most important word in the entire book of Ecclesiastes. It's a, it's a complex and deep word. It has, it has a pretty broad range of meaning. In fact, it's translated uh, differently throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. Most, most of the modern English translations translate it using different English words depending on how it's being used. And that's just a testament to the richness of that word. It's impossible to sum up Hevel in, with one English word. But the general idea is that this, this concept of Hevel is, is that the things of this earth, are they don't satisfy and they don't last. And you can't completely grab a hold of them and hold on to them the way we hope that we can in life. And so it's here translated as futile. Uh, sometimes it's, it's described as a smoke or a mist that you're trying to grab a hold of. It's, it's futile. It's just out of your reach. It's not something you can hold on to. It's not something that although we grasp at it, we ever can fully control. 
And that is the Ecclesiastes message of all of life, that it's futile, that all of life is hevel. We see that here in verse eight, but we are to rejoice in life. We're to rejoice, even knowing that there are going to be good days and that there are going to be bad days. Don't, don't fall for the lie that social media is always pushing, that everybody around you is always having a good day. I think that's one of the, the difficulties of being on social media is we see everybody, you know, living some incredible dream of a life. We, we only see the good things most of the time. I'm sure some people, uh, you know, post some of the hard things that they're going through, but we tend to see, oh man, everybody's, everybody's doing better than me. Everybody's having more fun than me. Everybody's having this good life all the time. That's just simply not true. Life is full of good days and bad days. It's full of good seasons and hard seasons. And, and what Ecclesiastes 11 and 12 wants to warn us is that particularly as we grow older, those bad days are more and more frequent. It's a difficult message but it's one that we can either face this fact ahead of time and prepare for it and be ready, or we can ignore it and be crushed by it when it comes. We are called to rejoice in all the days of life. The next point in the next section I want to look at, the next point, first of all, is this, live joyfully before God. Live joyfully before God. It's important to know that this, this passage is a call to, to rejoice in life and to live joyfully. In spite of everything that, that we're warned is to come, particularly in chapter 12, we are to live joyfully. Let me read verses 9 and 10. Rejoice, young person, while you are young. Let your heart be glad in the days of your youth. and Walk in the ways of your heart and in the desire of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. Remove sorrow from your heart and put away pain from your flesh because youth and the prime of life are fleeting. Again, here at the end of verse 10, where it's translated fleeting, that's hevel. It's this idea of it won't last. It won't, it won't satisfy forever. It's fleeting. It's something that's here for a while. Here it's speaking of youth and the prime of life. Surely youth and the prime of life are fleeting. There's something interesting that he says in, in verse nine, though, that can be a little bit confusing. He says, walk in the ways of your heart and in the desires of your eyes. That may sound like permission to go and just do whatever you want. You know, just be happy, do whatever satisfies you, which obviously we know will lead most people into sin because the desires of our hearts and the desires of our eyes aren't always good things. They aren't always things that lead us down the path of obedience. But I don't think that's what's meant here. And I don't think that's what's meant because of what he says next. He says, but know that for all of these things, God will bring you to judgment. So there's a warning here. Live your life in light of a judgment that is to come. And when we think of judgment, we primarily think of, uh, I think there's a lot of negative connotations, obviously. And because, I mean, rightfully so. That's, there is a negative side of judgment. But I think there's a positive side of this too. Judgment means that, that our lives matter to God. He cares about how we live our lives. The reason that's so significant in the book of Ecclesiastes, because if, if everything in life is fleeting and things don't last, and, and sometimes that word hevel is even translated as meaningless. If, if life is meaningless, then just do whatever you want. But the reality is, is that life isn't meaningless because it matters to God how we live. 
It is completely meaningful. You see, we're a part of his plan. We are a part of his creation. We were created on purpose by an intentional, holy, and loving God. That gives ultimate meaning to our life. Your life is anything but meaningless. It is eternally meaningful. And we see that here confirmed by the reality of judgment. Judgment isn't always bad, though. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We looked at recently a passage where... where um, Jesus tells the parable of the talents. It's where these, these men are put in charge of great wealth. And d- depending on how they handled that wealth, they were either punished or they were given great reward. The same is true of, of the judgment that 2 Corinthians 5 speaks of here. It's not just a judgment where we're punished for the wrong that we've done. It's a judgment where we are, we are eternally rewarded for the good that we have done. We're rewarded for walking in the ways of Christ and being obedient to him. That brings eternal meaning to our life. That means that how you live your life matters to God and it should matter to you because it has eternal consequences, eternal consequences that could potentially be eternal good. But we don't create our own meaning in life. We live, we live our lives because God created us to live. And therefore, it's imperative that we discover the purpose and the meaning that he has for our lives and how we should live according to him. That's the message of of verses 9 and 10. Live knowing that you live before your creator. You live before the one who brought you into existence and the one who will call your life into account when it's over. So that's good news for us. Therefore, this is the next thing on the handout. Therefore, remember And live for him now before the days of adversity come. The point of all of that is to compel us to live for him now and to, and and to live for him before the days of adversity come to, in other words, to, to, to take wherever you're at today and make the decision to remember him and to live for him. This takes us into chapter 12, which by the way, is the last chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. It's incredible to think that we've come the whole way through the book of Ecclesiastes. We're now crossing over that line into the final chapter. But it says this in in chapter 12, verse one, this is where things start to get even more dark. So remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of adversity come and the years approach when you will say, I have no delight in them. The command here to remember him is not meant to be a mere mental exercise. It's to remember him in a way that we live our lives in light of him. We live our lives as before him. We live our lives in obedience and in, in relationship with him. It's not just remember that there's a God. It's that live your life accordingly. This is a call to obedience. It's kind of like if, 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 if you were to sit down and, and, and confess that you are struggling in your marriage and, and admit to me that there's another person that you're thinking about and you're really taking seriously this, this idea of, of committing adultery and maybe even abandoning your spouse and, and your family. And, and, and I, call you, I, I call you to remember your spouse. 
Remember the commitment that you've made. Remember your family. I'm not just saying think about them as you go about your way. Think about them as you go do whatever you want to do. I'm saying remember them in a way that you, you live your life accordingly, that you align your actions with the reality in which you live in. That's what it means to remember our creator, that our actions are changed, that our lives are lived according to what he wants for us. That's the command of chapter 12. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before three times. We're going to see the word before transition us through this passage. As we look at chapter 12, verses one through eight, I want to follow the befores. The first one is this before the days of adversity come in the years approach. When you will say, I have no delight in them. When should we choose to remember God and live for him before, before the days of adversity come? Before, live your life now before him in preparation of the difficult days ahead. Prepare for adversity by following in the ways of the Lord and living for him. The next before is in verse two, and it's the next uh, point. These are just kind of sub points. If you're following on the handout, um, those three points were the main points that I wanted to make from this passage. But these are sort of sub points under that before the days of darkness before the days of darkness is what comes next. It says in verse two, and I'll read, I'm going to read two through five here before the sun and the light are darkened and the moon and the stars and the clouds return after the rain on the day when the guardians of the house tremble and the strong men stoop and the women grind grain, the women who grind grain cease because they are few. And the ones who watch through the windows see dimly and the doors at the street are shut while the sound of the mill fades. When one arises at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song grow faint. Also, they are afraid of heights and dangers on the road and the almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper loses its spring and the caperberry has no effect for the mere mortal is headed to his eternal home and mourners will walk around in the street before the days of darkness, before, not wait till then, but before. This is, again, Ecclesiastes is very poetical at times. Um, and we see that here, very metaphorical language. You know, people don't agree on what exactly all of these metaphors stand for. There are people that say this represents different parts of our body that, that fade as we grow older. I'll give you some examples. I'm going to look in, in verse 3. Uh, the women who grind grain cease because they are few. Some would suggest that this refers to teeth loss. The women who grind grain are, are a way of saying our teeth, which uh, tend to fall out as we age. Uh, it goes on to say the ones who watch through the windows see dimly. Perhaps this refers to the loss of eyesight. The doors at the street are shut, maybe referring to limited mobility. While the sound of the meal fades, the loss of hearing. When one rises at the sound of a bird, trouble sleeping, which commonly comes with growing older. Verse five says the almond tree blossoms, the almond trees blossom white. And so perhaps this is a metaphor for your hair turning gray. This one's interesting. The caperberry 
has no effect. Caper, this is, uh, caper berries were actually used as a stimulant and an aphrodisiac. And so perhaps some have suggested this is a, a reference to the loss of sexual desire. It's like it was some sort of ancient Near Eastern Cialis or Viagra or something. Um, these are examples of potential meanings, but most, most commentators and, and, and people who look at this passage agree it, it's hard to push that metaphor. It's, there's some things in there that just don't, just don't fit into the metaphor of this de- being different parts of our body. But the point is abundantly clear that this passage is speaking of days of darkness when what once was begins to fade. What once was gives way uh, to advancing decay and advancing loss of of power and strength and vitality. Uh, It's a very clear picture of things going in the wrong direction. And it's a powerful passage. It's powerful to think about the reality that as we age, as we grow older, our bodies just don't do the things they used to do. The prime of life and youthfulness truly is fleeting. It, it erodes it erodes right before our eyes as we grow and as we age. And even though it's a good thing to live long on earth, we know that difficult days lie ahead as we grow older. Things that we once did with ease become more and more challenging Things that we once valued and participated in are are now impossible. In fact, as I was studying this passage with a group of pastors last fall at a preaching workshop that I was a part of, the leader of my small group, uh, as we came to this passage right here, he said, you know, this really hits home. Uh, My mother, as we speak, is in the later stages of dementia. And he went on with tears in his eyes to explain how this, this woman who, who lived a life of faithfulness to Christ and, um, you know, as with any of us, somebody that he looked up to and admired his whole life as he saw things taken from her, as he saw life go the natural and yet difficult way that in, inevitably goes. It was a powerful lesson for me to hear that day. The reality is, is that all of us, know, uh, you get to a point in life where you, you certainly know uh, the pain of watching somebody that you love um, just taken by the cycle of life and the advance of old age. One commentator said, said something, um, Derek Kidner, uh, he, he said this about this passage. He said, and about this whole situation and the reality of, of life becoming more difficult as we age. He said, there are many lights that are liable then to be withdrawn besides those of the senses and faculties as one by one, old friends are taken familiar customs change and long held hopes now have to be abandoned. All of this will come at a stage when there is no longer the resilience of youth or the prospect of recovery to offset it in one's early years and for the greater part of life troubles and illnesses are chiefly setbacks not disasters one expects the co- the sky to clear eventually it is hard to adjust to the closing of that long chapter to know that now in the final stretch there will be no improvement clouds will always gather again and the time will no longer heal but kill so it is he concludes so it is in youth 
not age, that these inexorable facts are best confronted when they can drive us into action, that that total response to God, which was the subject of verse one, remember your creator, not into despair and vain regrets. I think what he's saying here and what I mean to say is that we're confronting a very difficult reality in this passage but we should do so in the hope of making decisions today that will save us from despair and vain regrets when those days come. That's what I hope we take away from this, that we become motivated, that we're compelled by what we read here to live our lives now, to remember him. As, as it says in verse one, in our youth, well, youth can be relative. Wherever you're at today is your youth compared to where you're going to be tomorrow and where you're going to be a year from now or 10 years from now. So choose today to remember him and to live for him. The Apostle Paul commented on this very situation this way in in 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. I'll read. It won't be on the screen. You can just listen as I read. He said, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight and I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which which the Lord, the righteous judge, there's that idea of standing in judgment, will give me on that day, not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. The apostle Paul's conclusion when he thinks about this matter is that his, as his life comes to an end, it brings him one day closer to the glory that is promised him through faith in Jesus Christ. But he says, I'm being poured out. The time for my departure is close. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Will you be able to say in that final stretch of life, will you be able to say you have done that? You've fought the good fight. You can look back and say, I've finished the race that the Lord set out before me and I have kept the faith. That's our goal. Our goal is to look at Ecclesiastes 11 and 12 and say, this thing is coming to a brutal end. And in light of that, I ought to live my life now as much as possible in today, live my life in remembrance and in obedience to my creator. Before, before the dark days come, before the days of adversity, before the sun and light and darkened. And then finally, as we move on to verse six, the last point or the next point, not the last point on the handout is this before the day of death's finality. You see what's happening here in chapter 12 is we're seeing the progression of life. We're seeing that as there's three different stages here, there's days of adversity. That's, as, as you go into adulthood and, and continue to grow, there's days of adversity and, and things begin to, to, to stop working the way that they used to. And, and not everything's as easy as it was when you were a youth. And then there are these days of darkness as you really begin to feel the effects on your physical body and your, the emotional toll that life takes from us. But all of those come prior to what we see here in these final verses. They are before the day of death's finality. Verse six, before the silver cord is snapped, 
and the golden, the golden bowl is broken. The jar is shattered at the spring and the wheel is broken into the well. And the dust returns to the earth as it once was. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. Verse A, absolute futility, says the teacher. Everything is futile. And so this passage and all of uh, the teacher's message ends here the way it began. In, in chapter one, we saw this statement, absolute futility. That's how his message begins. Absolute futility. Everything is futile, hevel. Everything is hevel. It won't last. It won't satisfy. You can't hold on to it. It's futile. It's fleeting. It doesn't remain. Before the day of death's finality, the silver cord, there's four images of the finality of death, the silver cord being snapped, the gold bowl broken, the jar shattered at the spring and the wheel broken into the well. Again, all metaphors for the finality of your last day on earth. Death, death is final. It is irreversible. We see in verse seven, life on earth has come to an end. The dust returns to the earth as it once was. The spirit returns to the God who gave it. This is a reference back to Genesis three nineteen, where God tells Adam after he sinned in the garden, you will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust and you will return to dust. What a horrifying reality that we get but a few years here on this earth. And then comes that, that final day where death comes and takes us from this world. I was, I was trying to think of a relatively lighthearted example because this is such a heavy topic and a heavy passage to think about. I love hockey. Hockey's my favorite sport. I, I've played hockey. I've coached hockey. I've watched hockey. Um, you know, one of the things about any sport really, but one of the things that, that was stood out to me is I was just thinking about this, that concept of the finality of death. There's no going back. You can't, you can't redo what you, what you already have done and you can't undo the finality of it. I was watching recently some of, uh, some, they were like, basically compilation videos of the Penguins Stanley Cup runs. And one of them was that, that year, I don't know, it was like 2008, 2009 or something when they lost to Detroit before they would come back and, and win the next year. And you watch them go through all of this, um, all of this adversity through the playoffs and, and, and the challenge of it being at that place in any sport to be one of the last two teams remaining. And you get to the end of, of a best of seven game series and that final buzzer sounds at the end of the third period. And you know, in that moment, there's no time left. None whatsoever. What is done is done. You know, as, as a coach and as a player, I, uh, I've been a part of a lot of games that came down to those last few seconds and didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. And what you do is you walk away and you look back and you say, well, what do we need to do better? What could we have done differently? What should, should we have, have, have done? If we get another opportunity, we'll do it that way. And, and you look back, but you know, when that buzzer sounds, that's it. 
you don't get to play that game again. What it is, it is, it's final. That's it. Well, in life, when death sounds its final buzzer, there's really no going back. There's no, well, we'll get them next time. There's, there's just the finality of death. Originally, when I was thinking about preaching this passage, I wanted to have an hourglass up here with me. It just became impossible with the situation even to get a hold of one. But I was going to set it. I was going to set an hourglass. You know, one of those sand timers where the sand just falls down through. I was going to set it so that it would run out near the end of this sermon as an illustration. And then I thought, well, maybe that's a little too heavy anyhow. But the reality is, is that we have so much, we only have so much time on this earth. And it's important that we make decisions before that day comes. That we make decisions before the days of adversity or the days of darkness. And certainly before the silver cord, as Ecclesiastes said, is snapped or the gold bowl is broken. We need to decide to remember and to live for him now before that day comes. Because life on earth is fleeting it doesn't last forever. And that's one of the things I mentioned earlier that this passage is one of the reasons why I wanted to preach the book of Ecclesiastes as we launched out and, and made the decision to, to plant this church. One of the things that was driving me through that process was this concept of, you know what? I only have one life to live, one life to give in service to God. And so if I want to look back at the end of my life and say, I ran the race, I, I did what he laid out before me. I fought the good fight. Then sometimes you got to take some bold steps to be obedient to Christ. And you got to do things that are uncomfortable and things that are costly. And this passage just keeps coming to my mind that today is the day to remember him. Today is the day to serve him. Literally, while I still can, I want to be obedient I want to serve him and live for him, knowing that there are days ahead when I won't be able to do as much and it'll get harder to be active doing things for the Lord. And ultimately there will be a day when the final buzzer sounds and that's it. What I did, I did. And there's no going back. I love this saying. You've heard me say it before. Just one life. It will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I heard that when I was in college and it's stuck without me through the years. Just one life. That's all we get. It will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's the message of the book of Ecclesiastes all throughout is that so much of what we do and so much of what we pursue and so much of what we give our lives to and our time and our energy to, it just doesn't last. It's heavy. It's like you're trying to grab a hold of smoke. It's just not going to be there anymore but everything we do for Christ lasts into eternity. So that's Ecclesiastes. We're not done yet. I want to transition. The emphasis in Ecclesiastes is that we should live for, we should live our lives for God here right now before those days come. We should resolve to be, be faithful to him in this season of life right now. That's the emphasis in Ecclesiastes. But I also want to give some encouragement. I want to give some encouragement to, to those who are listening, who are perhaps past what you might consider the days of your youth and closer to the days of darkness as described here in Ecclesiastes. 
I want to I want to encourage you, and I want to I want to ask you to 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 see that season of your life in light of all of Scripture, not just the context of Ecclesiastes, because I think Scripture speaks very powerfully uh, to that season of life as well. We just saw that in Second Timothy, Paul is actually using that season of his life when he feels like the end is near. He's using the last few days of his life to write a letter that becomes part of the New Testament and to encourage other believers. And I want to encourage you to do the same thing. But first of all, this is the last point to all of us. Most importantly, in addition to everything I just said from Ecclesiastes, most importantly, that we is that we rejoice in and remember the gospel. Rejoice in and remember the gospel. Because the gospel has significance in every season of life. You know, Ecclesiastes is written to to spur on people who still have many days and years ahead of them to live their lives for Christ then. But in speaking to those who are past that stage and those who have lived beyond that and who are already experiencing, yeah, I can't do what I used to do. I can't, I don't have the energy. I don't have the strength. I don't have the ability to do the types of things that I used to. Let me read to you 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18. In 2 Corinthians 4, the apostle Paul says, uh, let me set this up real quick. He had, he had, uh, this is in the context of him talking about our bodies. He refers to our bodies as tents, which is one of my favorite metaphors in the Bible, that our bodies are tents. Tents are temporary. They're not meant to hold up forever. They're not, they, you don't move into a tent. You live in them temporarily. So it is with our bodies. And so he says in verse 16 of chapter four, therefore we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I love, I love all, actually second Corinthians four and five is a beautiful passage of scripture. Um, I've preached it before. I can't wait to preach it again. I love to preach that entire section of, of the letter of second Corinthians, but I love these verses in particular, even though our outer person is being destroyed. Some translations say, even though our outer person is wasting away, our inner person is being renewed day by day. And so if you're in that season of life where you would say the days of youthfulness are certainly behind you, I want to encourage you that even though your outer self, even though your outer self may let you down, that is what is to be expected. That is the way of every human being who has the blessing and joy of living long on the earth. But in spite of that, your inner person can be renewed day by day. And that's Paul's experience. And I've, I've walked I've walked down that road with enough people uh, through my personal life and through my pastoral ministry uh, to know that, that God is faithful to the very end and that God brings meaning and purpose to every stage of life for those who obey and follow him. One of the examples, I want to I tell a story that takes a little bit of setting up here. So, so bear with me for a minute. I just want to tell a story about 
one of the people who really drove this verse home for me and the, the, the meaning of this passage here. So my mom is from North Georgia. Okay, she met my dad uh, when he was in the military. She was living uh, on, a, on a military base at the time, not in North Georgia. And they met and got married. He drug her up north. And um, I was born and raised in western Pennsylvania. Uh, but my mom's entire side of the family is in North Georgia. So we grew up visiting them often. We go down and have a lot of great memories of going to, to visit them. And, um, you know, she... Um, let me think through how I, how I want to get to this point. So my mom never knew her dad until she was about my age. Okay. So in her late thirties, um, she, she learned who her real dad was and, and it's a kind of a complicated story, but, um, I was with my mom. I was, a, I was a pretty young kid, but I was with my mom the first time she met her dad. One of the times when we were visiting family, we drove. He lived several hours away from where she was raised and where our family is. And so we drove to, to meet him. And uh, she had a couple of conversations with him after that before he passed away, but basically never really had a relationship uh, with him. And so, uh, you know, having a grandfather on that side of the family was kind of a funny thing for me. There was a, there's a, a guy that my granny was married to for several years when I was a young kid who uh, treated me very well and was a, a grandfather figure in my life. Um, but then he kind of was out of the picture um, for a while. And so uh, I'm mostly kind of related to that family without a grandfather on that side of my family. Uh, but there was, I had a great uncle who, uh, my uncle Jimmy, who was my granny's brother, who I considered to kind of filled that role in my life. As I would visit family in Georgia, he was the one that was always there over the years. He was the one that made a lot of effort to connect to us and to be a part of our family. And he grew to us to be a very special man in my life and in a, a lot of other people um, in my family just loved and, and, and valued him dearly. Uh, but my uncle Jimmy didn't serve the Lord throughout most of his life. But a couple of years before he passed away, uh, he was diagnosed with cancer and through that turned his life over to the Lord and began to pretty emphatically serve the Lord in the last days of his life. And so I was a Christian before him, um, but um, I started to relate to him on that level now. We were not, not just uh, family, but we were Christian brothers. And so as he was, uh, he fought that cancer for a couple of years. And as he was going through that, and I, I knew that he didn't have a whole lot of time left. On one of our visits down to Georgia, when I took my family now, um, I made a point. I wanted to go visit him and I wanted to spend time in the word together. And we had this incredible time together on his front porch. And now you got to understand, like my family there, they're, they're like, they're North Georgia people. Like country is turnip greens, you know, they're just, uh, the family property there is this, this little dirt road called Ed Winters Lane. And every, everybody in the family at one point or another lived and built a house on that property, though some of them have moved away, but he lived on the family property there. So you drive down this, this dirt road and into his driveway. And, uh, he was always sitting out on the porch, especially as he got sick and, and, and couldn't be as active as he once was. But he was a tough man. Uh, he was a hardworking man and, uh, he was just a good old boy. He was a great guy to be around. Everybody loved being around him. One of the things I remember growing up is anytime our visits there were coming to an end, like the day that we were going to leave, a lot of family would stop by one last time to say goodbye. And 
uh, um, Uncle Jimmy would never come the day that we were leaving because he never wanted to say goodbye. And uh, I'm sorry, I don't mean to get emotional thinking about it, um, but he just couldn't do it. He could, he could never stand to say goodbye. So he would avoid us. And it was always funny to us. It wasn't a sad thing. It was always funny to us uh, that he just couldn't handle that. He refused to, to go there emotionally. And so he would just kind of ignore it. And that's, um, that was one of his characteristics. And um, as I went and visited him as he was getting sick, and he was, he was really um, a shadow of the man that he once was at that point. We sat out on his porch, and I, I remember, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a rural um, setting, and there's some trees out in his yard, and I remember asking him, there was a couple of dead possums laying out in the yard. I'm like, Uncle Jimmy, what's up with these possums? He claimed they were rabid and that he shot them out of the trees. Who knows? He might have just got bored. <laughs> but there's So we're sitting on the porch together on a porch swing uh, in North Georgia with dead possums in the yard and just sharing scriptures together. And I was so thrilled to just, I had prepared before I even went down to Georgia. I was like, Lord, give me something to share with Uncle Jimmy. I can't wait to talk to him and spend time with him. And, and we just had this sweet time of just enjoying the Lord together and, and sharing scripture. And he knew, uh, he knew I was concerned about him and that I was struggling with what he was going through. And I'll never forget and this is where I, the point I wanted to make when I was walking off of his porch and getting in my car to leave. And I knew it was probably the last time I was ever going to see him. And the only time that I can remember him actually telling me goodbye, <laughs> I wish I could get this out. Uh, Cause I want you to hear it so bad. He said, he stood up on the porch and, um, from probably about 30, 40 feet away, as I was getting in the car, he just yelled out, Lord's got me, Freddie. The Lord's got me, Freddie. And that's the only goodbye I ever heard my Uncle Jimmy say. And I think it's the most important one because even though he didn't live his life following the Lord, the last couple of years that he lived, uh, in a relationship with Jesus Christ made an incredible impact on me. And his words validate to me what I read here in 2 Corinthians 4, that even though our bodies might waste away, our spirits are renewed day by day, and the Lord never leaves us. And no matter how dark the days may get, he will always be there. And I've seen people who struggle with finding meaning in that season of their lives. But I've seen it happen enough to know that one of the things that God does through that final stretch of life is that he ultimately impacts the lives of the next generation and the people who are gathered around watching. And so I want to encourage you that when you find yourself in that stretch of life, Remain faithful, live for the Lord and allow him to impact the lives of the people that you love, the people who are watching how you will finish this race and finish it well. We do not give up, Paul said, 
Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen for what is seen is temporary. It's hevel. It's fleeting. What is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let me conclude with two points. One, and they're going to go very quickly. Make the decision to remember and to live for God today. Before the days of darkness, before the days of adversity, before the finality of death, make that decision to live for him today. For you will stand and give an account before him of how you have lived your life. And if I want to say specifically, if you have not, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want, to, I want to plead with you to put your faith in him today, to receive his gift of salvation, and to commit to living your life for him as your Lord and Savior. Secondly, make your life count for eternity. Uh, This is what I love about Ecclesiastes 12 is it compels me to make my life count work for the Lord while I still can, while I have the ability, while I'm still here, make my life count for eternity. Just one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Or as Derek Kidner said in his commentary in Ecclesiastes on this verse, He said this, I love it. He said, death has not yet reached out to us. Let it rattle its chains at us and stir us into action. Let the thought of one day, this life on earth ceasing. Let the thought of the difficult days that may lie ahead, rattle its chains at us and stir us into action. Don't be intimidated by the things that are to come. Be motivated by them. Use that as motivation to live for the Lord right now. Let me close this in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. It is truth. Ecclesiastes speaks of some difficult realities, some, some, some harsh facts of life that we all must face, but it's better to prepare now than to be crushed by it later. So I pray that this reality, the reality of the brevity of life here on earth and the difficulty of days that lie ahead, I pray that it would propel us into action, that first and foremost, we would receive Jesus Christ as our savior that we would not put that off for one more minute, but that we would receive him into our lives and begin to obey him as our Lord. And God, I pray that we who are already believers would make the most of the days that you have given us. May we make our lives count for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.